Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us, they were competitive games, though they were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up, we were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying, because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Pure Victory Podcast. Pumped to be here with you today. Braden here, and we got an awesome guest with us today. And so before we introduce our guest, we just want to Thank you for being part of our tribe and give you an opportunity to uh, help advance this mission. If you go to the app, or whatever app you're on, if you leave a review or leave a five-star rating or written review, whatever you feel like doing, um, that always helps helps get the word out. And it's always cool when people reach out and they're like, I found your found Pure Victory just through searching on Spotify, searching on Google Podcasts, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so that's what the rankings do. It helps increase uh, the likelihood that people who are struggling out there will find help through this podcast yeah. so yeah and please email us like we just got an email from that guy from new york uh just dropping a line about how he's appreciated the podcast and things like that they really help us we want to hear from you we want to hear your story and what god's doing man that helps because i mean when we're doing this sometimes we uh we don't know how what's going on out in the world there uh, with you so uh, if you want to do that send us an email let us know um, how this has impacted you and what god is doing in your life and, and in the freedom journey uh we would love to hear that yeah, I know when I listen to podcasts, I don't always think like I should email that person I'm listening <laughs> That's to. True. But, but on yeah. this end of things, it's like I we love listening or we love we love hearing from listeners. That's and, right. And we're just two normal guys up north Canada and the cold, cold north. Just, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're approachable. Yeah. So That's right. Yeah, we love listening. Uh, or we love hearing from the listeners. So if you want to drop an email, you go to purevictorypodcast.com and our, our emails are on there. So we'd love to hear from you. We got an awesome guest today. We connected, uh, I connected with Patrick uh, earlier this year when he reached out and just wanted to share his story and connect. And man, I was so blessed by hearing his story. 
and and just seeing what what God has done in him, what He's brought him f- through. Um, but then, I think what impacted me the most is Patrick's whole perspective on all of the the different things that he had gotten himself into and the things that he's gone through. And he just wants to glorify God. So, Patrick, we're super excited to have you here, and thanks for making the time to to share with us. Thank you very much. Patrick, I loved hearing your story, but our listeners out there, they're going to hear it, and we're excited for them. We're excited for you. But let's just start, um, you know, kind of the beginning of of your journey. Um, Just fill in the blanks for us about a little bit about your journey, um, maybe with uh, your connection or relationship to porn, but so more than that. Just uh, start us off there. I uh, was the youngest of six kids. My father was an alcoholic and abuser in all forms. He molested each of the children. I've been told that he molested me when I was very young. And then I've got a couple spotty memories of him when I was between eight and 10. I was molested by a family friend at the age of six. And when I told my mother, I went to my room because the friend came in and brought my bags because I had spent the night. And we never spoke of it again. I had anticipated that she would not entertain this man anymore, but that's not the case. And when she died four years later, six months prior to her death, she invited him into our home to care for me and my, my older siblings for six to eight weeks before she died. Wow. And um, that, that just told me that I was worthless. My parents divorced when I was an infant. After my mom died, my father moved, moved back into the house with my stepmother. She was abused by him verbally and physically. It was a pretty rough house, but not from the outside. It was perfect from the outside. Did you know that it was rough? Like when you were growing up, did you know that this wasn't healthy or was it just your normal? I knew that my neighbor's houses were a lot more peaceful. We were Catholic. We were living on three houses down from Catholic church and school. And I just knew there was a lot of stress in my house and I didn't like to be there. I was first exposed to masturbation. One of the boys across the street had an older brother and he had some magazines and my buddy had a fort. And we started looking at the, at the pictures and he taught me and another friend how to masturbate. And that was probably maybe fifth grade. Right. And then I know for a lot of people that have experienced something similar to that, where something's dropped into their life at such a young age, the curiosity just breeds more curiosity and um, it becomes something more than that as time goes on, right? Where it becomes that... I guess, aspirin or whatever else when you're feeling bad, right? The thing you go to um, as you're growing older. Uh, For you, though, what was the journey in in your case? Because I know it doesn't always work out that way. I don't recall masturbating much after the magazines until seventh grade. I kissed my first girl. But then I also realized that our, our quarterback of the seventh grade team I really wanted to do to him what was done to me when I was six. And that brought a lot of shame and fear. And I had those feelings for him. And then actually any guy that was nice to me, my friends in high school and college. When I turned 18, I started buying my own magazines. And went to college, I got the harder core. Then I got married. We started having babies. When my second and third child were born, twins, my wife had left town for the day. So I stayed home from work and I went to an adult video store and I, I bought a video, a gay video, and uh, looked at it all day and then threw it away when she got home. 
or before she got home. And, and I did that a number of times over the next number of years. So when you were going through your teen years to back up, because it it's it's a confusing time for anybody, but even more so with same sex attraction, and then you've got a girlfriend. So you're 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 maybe thinking that you should date a girl, but then you're feeling these feelings. You get married. Like, was it something through your teen years that you kept quiet? I told no one. I yeah. never told anyone. I knew it was wrong. I knew it wasn't me. If that makes sense. Mm. I fought it. So I just, it, it wasn't natural and it wasn't me. That was not my identity. What was your identity, would you say, as a teen? A dorky, funny kid with a lot of hair. <laughs> Things have changed, eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I love just to be the kid that made people laugh. You know, my girlfriends, oh my gosh, their mothers loved me, (laughs) loved me. I mean, because I was very polite and kind and meek. I had a speech impediment. It was pretty bad back then. And there were a lot of very kind parents to me, very kind. And I was drawn towards that because I didn't have that at home very much. I'm I'm so curious, Patrick, because as you're sharing this, uh, I know when we're going through our formative years, uh, we're trying to figure out a place in the world. We're trying to figure out who we are. And and, and sometimes we craft uh, a veneer, um, something that we think people want to see. And under the surface, maybe it's different. We have other things happening that we don't want others to know about. And I know that was the case for me often, but as you're expressing this, as you're explaining kind of how you were in your teen years, would you say that was the case for you, kind of having to have two different worlds, um, one that you presented and one that you hid? And I don't know if that's the case for you, but, uh, and if so, where were you at with your faith in all this, this season of life as well too? So kind of a two-part question there. So I did have two lives and I had two lives until four years ago this month, but I was very close to the Holy Spirit, grades one through eight. I could feel him frequently. And then in high school, I would sexualize, and actually did, I sexualized anything anyone ever said at any point in time. They could say something about the weather, and I would come back with a sexualized reference about the weather. Right. I had to tell a very close friend of mine my story four years ago. And I said, I need to meet you at this date, at this time in the city. I said, I need you. You can't discuss this with anybody. I met him and I told him the story. And I said, did you know what the subject matter was? And he said, I knew it had to do something with sex because you sexualized everything for the past 40 years. Wow, interesting. He's a man of faith as well. Yeah. He's got wisdom and insight. And that's, mm-hmm. that's so interesting because the things that we, we say, often there's something deeper that leads to that out of the abundance of the heart. Tongue speaks and mouth speaks. And yeah, he, he obviously had insight. So you're living double life till four years ago. Just quickly, did your, did your wife not know until four years ago? She knew nothing. Okay. So, she knew nothing. So you've gone through your teen years and it sounds like a lot of good things about you. Like you're a funny, dorky kid. You got lots of hair. You're loved by all the... All the mums, which is always a good thing. And then you've got this secret that must have been just pulling at you in your soul. And then you get married. Did the did the shame increase once you got married? The shame that you felt about your 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 hidden life? So I had 
different little boxes and they those boxes rarely intersected they rarely a wall rarely came down between those two boxes where they were intermingled if that makes sense i know that many of us would would totally echo that patrick kind of trying to compartmentalize things to make sense of it or so that it doesn't flood over into other areas of our life that we don't want it to I know that can only last for so long. So when did the cracks start to form for you where it was starting to spill out into other areas of your life? Was that when you were married or or what would that look like for you? Let's back up. And this just occurred to me. The first time that I I compartmentalized was when I went back to my room after I told my mother what our family friend had done to me. Right. And it was, never discussed again that was the first compartment that i built i believe yeah because i never told anyone about it after that i'm sorry brian you got to restate your other question oh no that's you're you're talking about it and keep going uh i was just uh, uh talking about how sometimes the cracks start to form when we compartmentalize and it starts spilling out into other areas of our life so you you were mentioning this one area where you faced abuse and you told mm-hmm your mom never talked about it again. So you guarded that box pretty carefully. You didn't want anybody in there. Um, that's one example there, but all these other areas, did you start to notice them impacting other areas of your life that you tried so hard to protect? No, not until my first wife wanted to be divorced after our fourth child was born. And when he was about four, my boys were four, six, six, and eight. She said she wanted a divorce. I told her that I wasn't leaving, and she left. During that separation divorce period, I went to a phone booth and got a phone number. And this would have been at the age of, uh, call it 36. I went to uh, a phone booth and got a phone number and called it. And the guy came to the parking lot about 10 minutes later. I sat in his car, and he touched me and I touched him. He uh, masturbated me and we separated. And then I went and, went and picked up my boys from the babysitter. That was a first. That was the first line I ever crossed. What did that do to you? Do you remember? Shame. Shame. Huge shame. But then I just put it in a box. Right. You put it in a box like you had done earlier in your life mm-hmm. when you were yeah. when you were a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting that that's how our brains handle trauma, especially when it's not dealt with or undealt with. And a form of that is that we love ourselves. We don't want to get hurt. We want to care for ourselves. But when it's not dealt with properly, we feel like this is how I need to be to survive. But it always affects us. It always, there's even trauma that markings that show up in our blood when we don't deal with things. And it carries, it affects our organs, all of these things. And so you talk about shame when we don't deal with trauma it leads to shame. And then when you don't deal with that, eventually it's going to get worse, right? And so you put it in a box, but then you got married. Your wife didn't know what was going on. Your second wife didn't know what was going on. When did it all fall apart? When did it all come out in the open? Four years ago last month. What happened? uh, I was being intimate with my wife. And over my shoulder to my five o'clock, I heard a voice that said, go get tested it with a very loud voice and i literally turned 
to see who had walked in the door. And that's when I realized who was speaking and to what he was referring. Wow. My wife and I had not been real intimate for a number of months or years because I was being satisfied for the six years prior in other ways. By men. Yeah. Yeah. For six years, I had gone to get massages. They turned sexual very quickly, and then I would seek them out. And I spent hours upon hours each week looking for them. In the last six months of my escapades, I was out of control. Absolutely out of control. A month prior to hearing the voice, I had gone to two bathhouses in six days because it's something that I wanted to experience. I was a miserable man, miserable man. Looking back, I was looking for a connection and I didn't get connection. I didn't get love. I got transactional relationships. I got warts. I got gonorrhea. And finally, I got HIV. And that's when uh, my life fell apart. I had gone out of town two days after I heard that voice and went to the county health department because I didn't want to run into someone I knew. And I walked in. And they were actually just ready to close for lunch. But I think she saw the fear in my eyes. And I went back and got tested. And she was very, very kind and, and was telling me. And then finally she said, Patrick, you have HIV. So I had all the numbers, most of the numbers in my phone. And I gave him the websites and or the phone numbers and names of any guy that I had. Over the that six-year period, I was with over 70 different men on over 150 occasions, spending somewhere between twenty-five dollars and $30,000 on illicit sex. My life was ready to implode. I was driving home, knowing that my life was over. And I almost went across the center line to be hit by a semi, so I would not have to tell my wife, because I didn't want anyone to ever know. So as these secrets are starting to come out, how did that happen? Because you get this this bomb of news in your life of of getting this STI and life transformative kind of thing. How did you navigate that? And then what was your plan to to tell your your wife? Um, what did that look like for you? What were you, what was going on in your mind? So when I got gonorrhea, I went to a different health clinic and just got medication. It was fixed. When I got warts. I went to a different place and they took them off. It was fixed. But with this, I truly did not know what I was going to do. And um, that night I didn't do anything. But the next day I, I had to go out of town again. And I worked about a half a day and said, I can't do this. And then I drove to the home of a pastor that I had met exactly one year prior. It was 50 weeks prior, five zero weeks prior. And we had met in August of 2017, and we exchanged a few emails. And he sent me a note. He said, hey, if you ever need to talk, here's my address. You just stop by. So I did on that, uh, that Wednesday afternoon. I knocked on his door, reintroduced myself, and said, I need to go to confession. And we sat for two hours. I did my confession, and we talked about a game plan. My son was to be married the next three weeks later. And both the pastor and I knew that I could not inform my wife of this prior to the wedding. 
So I told her the Tuesday after Labor Day, I had written out my, my story to tell her exactly what happened and what I had done. And uh, she was devastated, to say the least. She cried. Well, she more than cried. And I slept in a different room for about three weeks. And she said, each Sunday night, I could ask her if I can come back to the ruling. And on the third Sunday, she said, yes. She is a very strong woman of faith. Amazing. And, and she knew, she knew she was supposed to be part of my life and my my young boys. And you know, they were 16 years older at this point. But she was their mother de facto she didn't want to destroy the family. I offered to give her 75% of all of our assets and just leave and come up with some excuse. And she said, no, that's not what I want. And that's not what God wants. She said, God's going to do something with this. This was three weeks later. She said, God's going to do something with this. I know it. So I immediately started listening to podcasts and I started attending Celebrate Recovery and SAA. And uh, in therapy, the health department had provided me with a therapist for nine months as part of their program for people who get HIV, just to help them navigate. And I was with her for nine months. And one of my friends from, from Celebrate Recovery had told me about a therapist who studied or who specialized in, in sexual addiction. And I talked to my my county therapist and she said, she had heard of this man and that she thought that would be a good idea for me. So I stopped seeing her and I started seeing him and I was spending between um, celebrate recovery and my therapy and my homework. Because I started to step study, I was spending four to six hours a week on my recovery. Some people say that's a lot of time, but it probably was as much time as I was spending the past six months on looking for, and then acting out. And it was a lot more productive. Right. Wow. I mean, your wife is a picture of strength in the Lord. <laughs> you know, my biggest sadness about this entire thing, first of all, I was her second husband because her first husband had an affair after 22 years. And she knew I would never, never do that to her. Wow. But she knew that if she told anyone, one of her siblings, one of her friends, if she told anyone, it would put a tarnish on my reputation, my stellar reputation. And at the same time, those same people would say, why is she staying with that man? So she could not, for her sake, tell anyone. So she's seen a couple of counselors, one was a train wreck. She actually ended up seeing the pastor that I originally told um, about my transgression. In that same pastor, I'd like to add, he agreed that he would work with me. And we met every Wednesday morning for two hours at 6 a.m. going through the um, Patrick Carnes Red Workbook. And I I would do my homework every week and I'd go back and I'd give him my answers and he'd say, what are you really saying here, Pat? What's going on here? And he would push. He truly, his insight 
and this is going to sound corny, his insight, I believe, came straight from God. It's the questions that he asked in his knowledge of what my heart was saying had to come from God. So six weeks after I told my wife my story, I went camping to read the SAA Green Book. That was my my goal of, of that camping weekend. I had sat around the fire the whole day reading. I went to bed that night, and in my mind's eye, I'm seeing, I'm replaying the scenes from the prior six years. Scenes that, I don't want to say this, but were exciting, but revolting, revolting at the same time. For the first and only time in my life, I sat up and belled in bed and cried out, Holy Spirit, be with me. I said it three times. And immediately at the end of the third time, the scenes that I, I was seeing in my mind's eye disappeared from left to right like the old westerns. And it was replaced by a sunset behind a grove of trees. I could feel the Holy Spirit in the camper, and I knew that I was not alone. Wow. He was there. Wow. Now, there was no fire, and there was no wind, but he was there. Wow. That's powerful, Patrick. And so God's revealing himself to you more and more through this journey and this process as you're sharing there. You mentioned you were going to celebrate recovery. SAA, if those of the listening out there don't know, Sexual Addicts Anonymous. And my therapist. And your therapist and, too. And my step study. Right. So these are some very intentional things that you did. Can you just describe what the healing journey has been like? Um, I mean, because it's often we maybe don't engage in those intentional actions of getting help. Maybe just speak to why that matters, why you did that, and what God has been showing you, you even beyond what you're sharing there at the, when you were camping, because that's powerful. Why I did it was because I knew that I had to get healthy or my wife was going to leave, period. At the same time, I knew that I needed to get healthy to save my soul. And I don't say that lightly. After I completed my step study through celibate recovery, that's when you go to the 12 steps, step by step, and it's a lot of work, it's a lot of weeks. That, that in and of itself was about two to three hours, two to four hours per week on top of everything else. After I got through my step study, I went back to my, my CR group and I realized they weren't moving. They were in the same spot they were nine months prior. Mm. So once I saw my new therapist, he told me about a program being offered at a local church. It's the Conquer series. That's on sexual integrity. I stopped going to celebrate recovery once I started that because that that had more momentum. During the same time period, it's going to be um, probably... 15 months into my recovery, I literally woke one morning and realized that I had forgiven my father for molesting me, for belittling me, for beating me. A week or so later, I woke up and realized that I had forgiven the man, the family friend who molested me. A week or so later, I woke and realized I forgave my mother for not protecting me from those two men. And finally, and most remarkably, I awoke about the fourth or fifth week after this started 
And I realized that I forgave the unknown male prostitute who gave me HIV. I cannot stress enough. I had no intention of forgiving any of these people. I didn't want to. Looking back, and actually at the time, I knew that I had to forgive these people. After after he revealed to me that I had forgiven them, I realized that was a very, very important step in my recovery because I could not move forward if I did not let go. It's a really good visual. You can't move forward if you don't let go. How cool that that's, uh, that, that was a powerful part of your process of, of healing and moving forward was forgiving all of those people. It's so key. It's so key. That's something that the Lord does is he's, he gives us freedom and forgiveness and he wants us to experience that. Hey, I, I'm wondering, you know, there's often so much rubbish and dirt in our lives, but God isn't finished with us. I, I, earlier you were saying you were driving home and you knew that your life was over. And I think a lot of people have had those thoughts, even with lesser sin is like, I, like, I can't say what I've done. My life is over. Even just with basic affairs, right? Where you're like, I, my, my spouse can't know my life's over. But God says, no, 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 it's not over. Your life is just beginning. Your impact is just beginning. I'm wondering if you can speak to that now with what you're, how the Lord has led you. Labor Day weekend in 2018, two years in my recovery, I'd gone to church with my son. I wrote down three points to a sermon that, again, was pivotal in my recovery. I was 58 years old at the time, and I have never written down anything from a sermon. But I grabbed my phone and I just started typing. During that sermon, there were three points. And after I wrote them down, I heard God say, Pat, this is for you. This is your time. The first point was, my brokenness is a better bridge for people than my pretend wholeness ever was. Point two, sharing my story. It is often the most effective way to be influential. And point three. My weakness is a canvas for his strength. Once I wrote that down, I heard him say, Patrick, now is your time. I am ready for you to start helping other men. Wow. That, was on, that was on Labor Day Sunday. Now my son, my 27-year-old son had moved home about a month before. My wife and daughter were gone for the weekend, so my son and I were just... Uh, hanging out here and doing fun stuff. And we got to his church because uh, that's where he taught. He taught Sunday school. I had said for five years, I want to go to his church. And I finally did. And uh, that next night on Monday, uh, we had supper together. About 5.45 on that Monday night, I said, uh, man, I want to I wanna pray. And I took his hands across the table. And I thank God for the month that we had had with Matt. We were having such a good time in it. I said, give Matt the insight and the guidance as to where he should go with his life because he wasn't too sure about his job. And I essentially just thank God for my son and what a blessing he was. 24 hours later, I received a phone call. It was the county EMS director. He called and he said, uh, Patrick, are you home? I said, yeah. He said, well, Matt's been in an accident down here. Uh, why don't you come on down? And I didn't ask any questions. I grabbed my wife and drove about six minutes to the intersection. And on the way to the scene, I cried out, God did not take my baby. But my wife, the same woman who refused to divorce me after I sinned against her and God, 
said, no, Pat, that is not our prayer. Our prayer is, Lord, give us the strength to deal with whatever we come upon. And on that, he did. We got to the scene, and actually a family friend was there. He was the first responder. He should not have been there. It was out, outside of his jurisdiction. But when he got the call, he knew that he was supposed to go to the scene of the accident. When he got to the scene and saw it was Matt, he knew why. And he said, Patrick, Matthew died. And I grabbed my wife and our friend. We said a prayer. We called our pastor. And we went home. I want to back up for a minute. Because I confessed everything to my wife, the Tuesday after Labor Day in 2018, at about 545. I prayed with my son Monday night on Labor Day at 545. My son passed away immediately due to a broken neck at 545 the Tuesday after Labor Day. None of this was a coincidence. By Wednesday, Matt had been gone 24 hours. By Wednesday, I knew why everything had happened the way it had happened. I was getting healthy, not so, not so I could comfort the 400 mortars who came to Matt's funeral. I became healthy so I could be the man that God wanted me to be, that God knew that I could be, and that God needed me to be. Because there are a whole lot of men struggling with sexual integrity that I can help by showing them, even in your darkest valley, there is light. And that's been my charge for the past two years, and that will be my charge until the day I die. Wow, emotional. It's an emotional story every time. It's probably the third or fourth time. I think it makes me tear up every time. But what's amazing to me every single time, like I've said, is the strength that you show in the Lord and that you just trust in him and want to glorify him and that you haven't turned to be angry and you've instead run to him. My wife and I, we were never angry that Matt died because we knew within 48 hours he was where he was supposed to be and he had done his job here and he had affected so many people. The stories that we heard imaginable. He loaned people money. He helped people buy his cars. He let them borrow his car. That's what makes me proud. My son made me a better dad, a better man, a better husband, and a better friend. I can't ask for anything more than that. You know, Patrick, one of the things I pick up on is that just absolutely amazes me is the gratitude that you have in your life that I think a lot of people would miss. You have gratitude to God for how he worked in your story, going all the way back. Um, I pick up on that. I hear the gratitude towards God for being there with you at the campfire, for helping you in the healing, for speaking to go get tested, for a wife who forgave, for being able to go to that pastor, your pastor, to hear from God through him, and then being able to Thank God for the amazing son that you had and the way that he, you, God worked through his story and that you have gratitude for all that. That absolutely amazes me. I know that is because through your healing journey in your life, you've been able to turn to him and you haven't gotten embittered, angry, 
you haven't spiraled down to where you didn't have capacity for that. And that really shows God's work in your life. And I think there's so much hope in your story about what you're sharing, because I know it's so easy to go the other way, but I just want to say thank you. It's not through me. The Holy Spirit, who I loved and adored as a young boy, returned to me at the age of 56. Had I not gotten HIV, I wouldn't know what true intimacy is with my wife. I would not understand that recovery is a journey. It is not a destination. I wouldn't have the courage to share my story, to be vulnerable. Had I not gotten HIV, I wouldn't have understood the message that I heard on that Sunday with those three points. I'm a very fortunate man. And the only question I ask is, why did he speak to me? And I know, I think it's you, Matt, had a story where God spoke to you. And it's humbling. I am a 60-year-old man with a speech impediment. Yet he encourages and expects me to praise his name in the best way I can. And that's what I'm trying to do. Because I couldn't do this alone. Because I'm a weak man. Well, you're doing a wonderful job. And I'm just curious because this is something that uh, has been a long, long time coming, this freedom that you've got. Now you're sharing your story. What does it feel like to share your story? You know, my wife, I'm entering two men right now, and we meet every Thursday for two hours. A few weeks ago, I was sort of busy. I said, I really just want to cancel tonight. And she said, no, you're not. You need those men, and they need you. So I'm taking time away from her with her blessing to remain healthy and to help other men on a similar journey. That is a blessing. Yeah, and I, I get totally, Patrick, what you're saying. Um, um, and in season, God will lead us in the, the appropriate time to share things. And you're doing that here on this podcast. Um, and I just want to uh, commend you for that. And thank you for your story. Thank you for um, your willingness to do this. And we are so thankful to what God has done in your life. And, um, you know, I think these stories need to be shared. Um, It gives such hope to those that are listening out there that have things in their past, in their life currently, that they don't know how to come back from. You're just a testament, Patrick, to how God can work through that. And uh, I just want to say to you, we're, you know, Matt and I, we love hearing story and your story is something that's so impactful and matters. And um, we're, we're very pleased to sit with you today. Thank you very much. Everybody out there listening, um, I hope that blessed you. Um, it blessed us, so we're guessing it did. And we just want to say again, thank you to Patrick. And for all the you, those listening out there, uh, leave a review and check back in with us we've got so many other great episodes coming up with other great guests sharing their story thanks for listening if you would like to hear more please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe this podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers if you would like to help support the cause financially once again please visit purevictorypodcast.com